when you're reading books with your kids, you're, you're getting this taste of worlds that are different than your own. You're experiencing new things. You're really slipping into the shoes of somebody else. It's sort of this journey you get to take with your kids that bonds you in this really unique way. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Pudua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. As we take a break from recording, we have chosen to replace several of our greatest hits for you to enjoy. We hope that you are able to gain insight for your educational journey. So today is Valentine's Day. Andrew, happy Valentine's Day. One of my favorites. Is it? Yes. Why is that? Well, people give me chocolate and then I get to give it away. This is true. Because <laughs> you don't eat a lot of chocolate. No, no, so, not at this time in my life. No, no to all of Andrew's fans. But I know all sorts of young people. He who doesn't are happy like chocolate, to eat my chocolate. But we do. So we're happy if you give him chocolate because then he brings it home to give to us on the team, right? So Andrew, it's a special day today because we have a guest with us in our podcast. This is Sarah McKenzie. And isn't it always good when we get a chance to talk with Sarah? We love Sarah. How long have we known you now? Oh my goodness. A couple of years. I mean, I've known you guys longer than you've known me. (laughs) (laughs) So why don't you, why don't the two of you just share a story of how the two of you got acquainted? Well, actually, you know, the first time we met, Andrew, you wouldn't remember this probably because I was just attending your seminar that you'd come to Spokane, Washington, and you were teaching with Andrew Kerr, and you guys were doing your two Andrews talk. That's the first time I met you in person. But we met a couple years later. We met when we were speaking at Great Homeschool Conventions, I think. That was probably, right? Is that what you kind of remember? Yeah. Yes. I think it was at one of the conferences. You were Maybe your first conference you spoke at? Yeah, that may have been the first time we talked or we spoke face-to-face, but we, the first time we actually spoke was when you were on the Read Aloud Revival podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. And, and I recall there's an interesting story where you were, you were not knowing for sure if you were even going to do a podcast, right? You, you got this crazy idea. Yeah, I got this crazy idea and thought I would love to do a few podcast episodes on how reading aloud has really formed our family life and shaped our kids and thought, oh, you know, I would love to talk to Andrew Putua about that since your talk, Nurturing Competent Communicators, was really the thing that just lit this read loud fire in me. So on a whim, I wrote to Julie and said, hey, is there any chance Andrew Putua would want to come on my new podcast? And she said yes. And then I realized I actually had to have a podcast <laughs> to make that happen. <laughs> and I peeked in your, your book, since that's really what we're going to talk about. And I understand you had to actually Google up how to do a podcast. Yeah. How do you know? How do you get your voice like into iTunes or into the internet? You know, how do you do that? How do you even record a conversation? I had to learn everything from square zero, not even square one. It was, and I had the twins who are my fifth and sixth were not even a year old yet. So things were a little bit crazy and we were moving too. There was a lot going on. I was a little crazy, but I'm so glad. And what year was that? That must have been 2000. 14. Yeah. 
So actually, yeah. Sarah, you beat us to the punch in getting a podcast out. You did. <laughs> now, you, you have quite a following. How many podcast downloads do you get or have you had or how do you measure that? We use our little hosting, our podcast hosting service that has told us that the podcast itself has been downloaded over 3 million times, which is a little bit crazy, but we get about, we know we get several tens of thousands of listeners every episode, which is really fun. I think it's really because as soon as a family gets a taste of the way reading aloud can impact their, they just, they're hooked because it's so, it brings so much delight and so much richness to family life that I really think that's it, that it, it hooks them, (laughs) the book's and when you when you got going, you were able to bring in some really amazing, well-known, widely read, popular authors to talk with you in person. Who who are a couple of them right now? I know mean, there's way too many to list them all, but the the most fun, the big names, the people that you thought, oh, they'd never do it, and then they did it. Yeah, Catherine Patterson came onto the podcast not too long ago, and she is, you know, the the author of Bridge to Terabithia and um, Jacob Have I Loved and The Great Gilly Hopkins. And she's something of a hero of mine. So that was really fun. Uh, Lois Lowry, who wrote Number of the Stars and The Giver and a lot of other really iconic books. We have coming up later this year in 2018, Kate DiCamillo, who has been my, I mean, I kept saying, if I could just get Kate DiCamillo, everything would be wonderful. And she said, yes. So she's coming later this year. And she's written a lot of books people would recognize, probably like Tale of Despero and Because of Winn-Dixie and the Mercy Watson books. So it's really fun. It feels a little surreal. And I get all these cool points from my kids when I get their favorite (laughs) authors. (laughs) When they send me emails or, you know, I get off the phone with Brandon Mull or something. My kids think I'm pretty awesome. <laughs> well, and I, I will confess, I am, I have been in the past occasionally tempted to envy, thinking <laughs> that woman, she has got so many listeners. She gets such good people on. She's wiping me out statistically. <laughs> but then I take consolation and I remember... I was her first, (laughs) and so it's good to be back with. Now, you you went from kind of convention-going homeschool mom to convention-speaking at homeschool mom to now author. You got a book, not one of these little self-published things that anybody can do on Amazon. You You got Zondervan. Yes. And your book is The Read Aloud Family, Making Meaningful and Lasting Connections with Your Kids. And I am holding a advanced reading copy, not for sale. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe it's because I was just reading Dante's Purgatorio with my teenage students, and we just were talking about the second cornice, which is of the envious in purgatory, and I and their punishment, you know, their penalty, their purification, is to have their eyes sewn shut so they can't see or, or know things because they were always looking at things, and these things were tempting them to envy. I am tempted to envy because the book I'm holding, I open it up, and it says, for Julie, <laughs> who gave me the first yes I really needed on my love, Sarah McKenzie. So... I, I don't I don't even have one of these. <laughs> but 
but your name is all over it. You have to read it. Like you have to. You have to find all the places your name's in there, Andrew. <laughs> I, I will do that with a highlighter, and it'll buy me some more time in the cornice of envy when I'm in Purgatorio. Well, like, Andrew, you like heard her story. The first yes she yes. really needed was me you. speaking on behalf of you. Yes, no, it's <laughs> beautiful. I, I want to start just with the cover. I love this graphic. Oh, didn't they do a marvelous job? I was, yeah. that's all Zondervan, and they, they presented three covers to me. All of them were astounding, but I saw, as soon as I saw this one, I thought, that's it. With yeah. the mother and the child standing on the open book, as they're floating through the night sky and the wind blowing the hair and the dress back. And that is, I, that is right there is just so catchy. Well, you know what it was is when we were talking about the cover before it was made, I wanted it to convey this sense of going on a journey because that's what it feels like when you're reading books with your kids. You're, you're getting this taste of worlds that are different than your own, whether those be fantasy worlds or just a book that takes place in another part of the world. And you're experiencing new things. You're really slipping into the shoes of somebody else, right? And it's sort of this journey you get to take with your kids that bonds you in this really unique way. And I didn't want the cover to look like, you know, maybe a pile of books with an apple on it or something, you know, like looks very schoolish because I felt like that's not really the heart of what a read aloud family gets. They get this amazing connection. And I didn't know how they would do it, but they did it. And I love the cover so much. Yeah, I love the cover. And you've written this book, of course, not to be a a homeschooler's book per se. I think you've written it so that any family, whatever their situation is, can catch the vision and gain some of the benefits of the culture of reading aloud at home. Well, I think so often we all sort of, whether we're homeschooling or we're not homeschooling, we all feel distracted and stressed by all the demands on our time and attention as parents. And really every family can be enriched by sharing time together with books. I think as homeschoolers, we have sort of a extra advantage in that we have more time and opportunities during the day to do that. And we can even call it school. So we get away with it a little bit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we definitely, when I was writing the book, I was trying to make sure that this was a this is a message for everybody i think for parents who are any parents who are wanting to connect with their kids regardless of where their kids go to school i think you told me andrew on a in a conversation we had not too long ago you know really all parents are homeschooling it just depends on like how much of your day is taken up by it right but we're all oh, right. <laughs> teaching and training and guiding and inspiring our kids well and andrew i i love that this is directed to all audiences because you have said if you could change our educational system, it would be motivating all parents everywhere to be reading out loud to their children. Yeah, yeah. So many people have just lost lost the habit. It's, it's a sad thing. I'm looking at the table of contents, and you've got in here some really cute stories from your life. I mean, this is a super easy to read. Uh, one that I noticed was your you were reading, I guess, maybe from the Book of Virtues or something, the the fantastical, imaginary, fantasy story about George Washington cutting down the cherry tree and then saying, I could not tell a lie, <laughs> which I think most people are pretty convinced that never happened, but it's okay. Myth <laughs> of a great person. Exactly. And then, and then you looked out the window and you saw your little son. How old was he? 
Oh, he had to have been three or four. Yeah. Three or four. And there he was doing what? Hacking my beautiful tea roses. Now, you have to understand, <laughs> we had bought this house and I knew nothing. I I. I knew nothing about gardening. I mean, I, this is embarrassing. I shouldn't even admit this, but I knew so little about gardening and plant life and like taking care of living things, except for humans, that I was outside digging up what I thought were weeds and would dig a little deeper and thought, oh my gosh, look at all of these old garlics that are in the ground. <laughs> and I pulled them all out and I put them in the yard waste. I'm not kidding, hundreds. And they were bulbs. I didn't yes, know. And so <laughs> now I just mourn the loss of these, I'm sure what would have been amazing daffodils and tulips and irises in my yard <laughs> that I ended up throwing away because I didn't know anything. But there was this one tea rose bush that was gorgeous and no matter how much I neglected <laughs> neglected or failed to do things correctly it would bloom just beautifully and there he is out there just swinging this big stick at this tea rose bush and I thought what are you doing and I knew when he turned around and had this very impish smile on his face and asked me to tell him said or told me I said I guess ask me if I did that you know what I'm doing if I did that and I thought, oh boy, we're in trouble because he was inspired by this legend of George Washington cutting down his father's cherry tree. So did you ask him, are you whacking my roses? I said, what do you think you're doing? And he whipped around and said, ask me if I did it. I mean, they're now limping. They're now limp, right? <laughs> okay. And as soon as he said that, I just thought, oh my gosh, did you do it? And he looked at me and just puffed himself up and I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that story is in chapter three of your book, which is called The Roar of the Lion with the subtitle Inspiring Heroic Virtue. Hmm. And then uh, you've got a bit on before that being fully present. You've got some here preparing for academic success, nurturing empathy and compassion. And that whole part one that's a lot, I think, of your your experiences with your children. And I know uh, so many moms and dads will will be able to relate to that. And, and probably some of the moms will say, let's just not read that little story about George Washington. <laughs> uh, yeah, lest right. Lest we lose our rosebush. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's that section, I hope, is emphasizes how a reading aloud is this power punch. Because, you know, like I was saying before, we're also pressed for time and attention. And there's so many demands and stresses. And none of us feel like by the time our kids leave our homes, they're fully, you know, we can give them everything they need to succeed. But reading aloud has this ability to give our kids such an academic leg up and inspire heroic virtue inside of them and, you know, help them become more empathetic and compassionate at the same time that it connects us in this relationship. It's sort of amazing that something you can do in 10 or 15 minutes can do all of those things that are so important. And so that's what I was hoping that the first part of the book would do is express just how powerful this very seemingly simple activity is. So Sarah, what you just said begs two questions. One, you said it gives you an academic leg up. You mean if I put aside the math and the English workbook and the history and social studies and just read aloud to my kids, they're going to be smarter? An academic leg up. An academic leg up. Okay, there is some incredibly compelling research that shows that kids who are read to actually gain more. They're more 
prepared for academic success than even if you were to send those kids to an elite private school, for example, or hire a one-on-one tutor. It's that I think this goes back to what Andrew Putua, what you say in your Nurturing Competent Communicators talk about correct and sophisticated language patterns coming in through the ear and that there's really no other place that kids get those not in their dialogue with their friends not from the media not at school not from their peers not even in their conversations with their parents so the only place they get those sophisticated language patterns is through books and when we read those books aloud they get them on an auditory level which just it's a whole different level so rather than thinking of reading aloud as the only thing, what I'm not saying is, you know, mm-hmm. just read aloud and your kids will be have everything they need. It actually carries more weight than almost anything else on the schedule. In fact, Jim Trelease in his Read Aloud Handbook says there's really nothing that can compare with the ability of, you know, of reading aloud to prepare your kids for academic success. There's nothing else in a school day that is as impactful or meaningful as that. So definitely moving it way up on the priority list. Well, and then that begs the second question, which is, you said 15 minutes a day. So I think of, you know, getting the kids all set into a room and, and settle, settle down. And now I'm going to read this big tome to them. Yeah. (laughs) But you're saying 15 minutes a day. That sounds totally doable. Well, so here's something that I think is so fascinating. Um, At one point, I, I, did the math on this. Well, you know, I used my calculator, but if if we were to read aloud for 10 minutes every single day, that would be 60 hours over the course of a year. But most of us, you know, struggle with that whole everyday thing. At least I know I do. And so I think, okay, well, if I can read about 10 minutes every other day, that's still 30 hours. Well, when you look at that, you think you could read the entire Chronicles of Narnia and 30 hours over the course of a year. You do this over years and it's not that huge of a commitment. You're still talking about 10 minutes every other day, but you end up giving your kids this storehouse of language and stories and this, you know, beautiful connective tissue between the two of you around books. And so it doesn't take reading a tome. Actually, I think at the last IEW webinar event we did together, one of the questions was for tips on how to read long books out loud. And my best tip is always, yeah, don't, don't read those long books out loud. Choose something shorter because there's a lot. I mean, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is very short and very delightful to read aloud. You uh, tell a little bit about this math you did <laughs> in the chapter on debunking five myths. Hmm. I think this is a, a really great chapter here because people, you know, they have their their bugaboos, they have their preconceived thoughts. So myth number one, I think you just said, if you want reading aloud to make a difference, you need to do a lot of it. And uh, it is so easy to fall into that. Well, if I can't do it 100%, you know, it's probably not worth trying. And you're just saying 10 minutes a day. One of my favorite uh, thoughts is from uh, Chesterton, who said, if, you know, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly or or badly, or I think what he meant was imperfectly. Yes. So we can't be perfect, but we can always do the right thing. So that that's the first myth. What's the second myth uh, that needs to be debunked? It's that myth that it only counts if you do the reading yourself, the reading aloud yourself. So I get one of the questions I hear at conferences more than any other is, do audiobooks count? And I think it's because it feels like cheating if it's not hard for us as parents, you know, especially as homeschooling parents, anything that doesn't, isn't hard for us to do, we feel like is maybe this should be harder. Maybe I'm cheating somehow, but 
audiobooks. And Andrew, I know that you're an avid audiobook listener, as am I. And a really well-read audiobook can be such a delightful experience. But the second thing is a lot of families spend quite a bit of time in the car and you can redeem that time with an audiobook. And then you also still get that shared experience of the story, whether or not you're reading it aloud or a professional narrator is reading it aloud. You're still enjoying the story and those sophisticated language patterns together. Yeah. Myth number three, I love this one because uh, the truth is I secretly listened to books that were probably written for 12-year-old girls. <laughs> Myth number three, light books don't count. Last time you and I talked, you told me I should listen to The Incorrigible Children of Ashton Place. Mm-hmm. Well, this has devoured me, uh, <laughs> and, and and I'm angry that that only five books are there. I want the next one now. <laughs> and yet, clearly, these are children's books. I have no children at home to read them to. My, my children are, are grown and out of the home, and my grandchildren are still three, four years old, so I'm still on Ping in the beautiful Yangtze River there <laughs> with them. But I, I'm just, please hurry up and grow up, kids, so I can read you The Incorrigible Children. <laughs> Aren't they so delightful? I was, I sort of stumbled across them and was just astonished by how delightful those books are. Yeah, especially on audio, especially on audio. I think sometimes, especially as homeschooling parents, we have this idea. It's along along the lines of if this isn't hard, like listening to an audio book isn't taking much from me. It must be cheating. If it's an easy or enjoyable book that's not a classic, it doesn't really count. But when I talk to adult readers, like my friends or other adults who I know have active reading lives, and ask them about the books they fell in love with or the books that turned them into a reader when they were younger, they never say, you know, The Hound of the Baskervilles or <laughs> they never say Anna Karenina. They name the books that they fell in love with when they were eight, nine, 12, when they were kids who were just falling in love with a good story. And I think sometimes we devalue the importance of a really good story, regardless of whether or not it would be deemed a classic by, you know, those who know. And I think you personally had a particularly good experience with uh, Road Dahl's Matilda. I did, yes. I, I, <laughs> I loved that book. That was, I remember finding it on a classroom library shelf. I went to public school growing up and it was in my classroom library. And I, (laughs) this is going to shed a lot about my character. Uh, I wanted to pick it up because it was fatter than the other books. And I thought if I picked the fatter (laughs) book, the teacher would know I was brilliant, right? (laughs) I, it was the first book that I had, I read and really discovered that books were joyful, wonderful, aside from anything that was assigned at school or aside from, you know, you read because you should should to get information or for a good grade or whatever. It was the first really delightful experience I had on my own with a book. And I think it was one of those turning points for me as a reader. I know you've talked about this with one, at least one, maybe more of your guests, because I've heard your podcast, this idea that that you have to choose a book because it's going to make you a better person. <laughs> you know, that this this is the critical factor. And and then we start to get narrower, I think, if we're, you know, are we worried, is, is this the best book for character development and helping my child see and know the truth? And, and we get almost obsessed with that. But you, you have kind of a different take, and I know you share that with a lot of the authors you've 
had on. What would you say to the the parent who is kind of overly concerned about getting the right book for, you know, character and spiritual development and whatnot? Well, Catherine Patterson, when she came on the podcast, she spoke a little bit about this, that, that kids don't really go to books for role models. And actually, if someone was to hand me a book and say, I want you to read this because I think it's going to make you a better human being, I probably, <laughs> I don't think I'd want to read it. You know, <laughs> no, I'm, you know, it just sort of makes your hackles go up. It's like a kale and quinoa salad. <laughs> You know, you're going to eat this yeah. because it makes you healthier. Oh, no, thank exactly. you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then we wonder why our kids don't want to read voraciously on their free time, right? right? Or why they don't choose like a big kale salad for, for their snack. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think one of the things that we have to remember is there is power in story just because of who we are and the way God made us and because we are people of story. That in a story, regardless of whether the protagonist or the main character is a really good role model we want our kids to follow in the footsteps of, the story itself can speak to our child at a level that we can't really preach or teach at on a didactic level. So one of the examples of this, and Jonathan Rogers, who is a brilliant author of a really wonderful middle grade series called The Wilder King Trilogy. Yes, yes. Oh, I forgot that you were a fan of his. That's right. So he came on the podcast and said a good example of this is The Best Christmas Pageant Ever, which is a really funny book. It's also a book where there are zero good role models. You know, you don't want your kids to be like anyone in the book, not like the Herdmans, not like the people at the church, not like uh, the narrator who's very, you know, stuck up and self-satisfied. But the story itself sheds light on the human experience and helps us be a little bit more compassionate or see things from another point of view. And in that way, I think a story, regardless of whether we think that the characters are really good role models or that the author shares our worldview, the story itself can shed light on how we can love others better, which is, of course, as Christian parents, what we really want for our children no matter what. So I think we could teach our kids to ask some good questions about the books they're reading, but I think we can also trust that they are not necessarily going to read a book and say, because this this character stole bread from the baker in the village, now he thinks stealing is okay. We don't trust our kids with enough intelligence for them to see that that's not really what the story is about. It's kind of like the myths or the legends or, I mean, if you have your kids read Genesis, for example, there are a lot of really bad role models in Genesis. <laughs> and so if you're worried about your kids reading about people doing bad things going unpunished, there are plenty of those stories, you know, that happen in the Bible itself. So I think if we trust this story to nourish our kids and help our kids ask questions about what they're reading and also just be inspired to love people around them better because they now have a little more experience slipping into the shoes of someone else, that there's a lot of good that can come from that. I think that there's many people who, because of the work that you and, and I and others have been doing, they don't need to be convinced about the value of reading, but they do need some help, I think, with what you do in the second section of your book. And I, there's a quote by uh, Francis Bacon, I believe it's approximately this, reading without thinking is like eating without digesting. Hmm. And of course, sometimes the thinking happens semi-subconsciously, but you've got some great stuff in here on master the art of conversation and ask compelling questions. Do you want to just briefly say, you know, how you got some of that content together, your experience, and how, uh, to me, that looks like it could be the, the most valuable, most important part of the book for many people. 
Well, these are these are chapters 10 and 11, and my confession is these are my favorite chapters in okay. the book, too. And the reason why is because I was really overwhelmed for a long time with the idea of literary analysis or feeling like I didn't have maybe the literary prowess to talk intelligently about books with my kids. And I think a lot of us feel that way. And what I've realized over time from learning from other educators like you and Andrew Kern and Adam Andrews, and also through experience with my kids, is that... You don't need a lot of literary prowess to talk about a book with your kids. In fact, what I've found is a lot of the best conversations I've had with my kids about books are about books they've read, and I actually haven't read them yet. And I think part of that is because if I haven't read the book yet, I don't know the right answers. And so now it's a conversation instead of a quiz. You know, we sort of fall back into our maybe our own experience as children of having someone quiz us on whether you've read the book. I mean, a lot of entire reading programs around the world are based on this idea of you read the book and answer questions that basically exist only to prove that you read the book and understood what it, you know, what happened in the story. Instead, if we ask some of these open-ended questions, we can have a really engaging conversation about books. And so chapter 11 are 10 questions that are very open-ended, so you can't possibly know the right answer because there isn't necessarily one right answer. And you can just ask these books about anything from a picture book to an epic novel, you know, from your toddler or preschooler all the way up to your teen, and have a conversation with them depending on where they are developmentally and what they're ready to get from the book. So I can ask, for example, who is the most courageous in this story to my child when we're reading The Circus Ship by Chris Van Dusen? Or I can ask my oldest daughter that same question about Pride and Prejudice. And we're going to have a conversation that they're ready for no matter what. And I love that because it's simple and it's doable. And we already have a lot on our plate. So to know that a really good discussion about books doesn't mean we have to have a lot of literary prowess or know-how, but we just need to be armed with a couple of questions and an ability to talk about, you know, spend a few minutes talking with our kids. That's really a relief. It is. And we need to get past the short conversation. Oh, what do you think? I like it. What do you think? Well, I like it. Okay, well, good. I'm glad we like it. You know. Exactly. You, your son reads a book and you ask him, you know, did you like the book? He'll give you one word either way. You know, it's either yeah. going to be a yep or a nope. And then you're just sort of like, what's for dinner, you know? <laughs> so what do you think about it? But I, I love your questions. In fact, I've been uh, studying a little bit the common topics of Aristotle for use in rhetoric and invention. And I noticed some very strong similarities between the questions you've chosen and some of those questions that work with the, with the classical invention process. So uh, we're kind of running out of time, and there's so much that we could continue to talk about. Now, when is this book actually going to be released? It's going to be released March 27th. So a little more than a month from now. Yes, So if you buy this book from IEW, and that would be at IEW.com slash R-A-F for Read Aloud Family. R-A-F. Yep, yep. You will get Andrew's talk, Nurturing Company Communicators, and also we are adding in a PDF of, a PDF download of the appendix of one of our theme-based books, Fables, Myths, and Fairy Tales. In that appendix, the author has included several read-alouds so that you can actually start reading right then to your well, children. Well, and of course, Sarah, your your book has got 
I don't know. Did you count how many books you mentioned or recommend there? Must be yes, a couple Yes, we hundred. did. Almost 400. Yeah. 400, yeah. Almost well, 400. and I, we thought about adding a book list to these free downloads, but when I saw your book, Sarah, and all the books that you reference in the books, you don't need a book list. This book is chock yes. full of great recommendations. I'm so excited you're including Nurturing Competent Communicators too, because that really is the, the talk that I listened to that lit that fire in me and made me think, I'm just going to try this and see if what he's saying could possibly be true. <laughs> and so it's my favorite talk of yours, Andrew. And I'm just really, really glad that people who buy the book are going to be able to access that when they buy from IEW. That's awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah. It's been great. Thanks, Sarah. We love you. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us for one of our favorite episodes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or you can visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. New recordings will begin airing in January of 2020. Until then, we hope you'll join us each week as we revisit our greatest hits.